This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today as always by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, please give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Jakeski52. Today, John and I are going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights at UFC 226, live from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas on Saturday. But before we get going, quick PSA, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, me bringing it up means I'm probably going to jinx it, but John... Over the last two cards, you're a perfect 10-0 and on the pay-per-view. So since that MSG, we're talking UFC uh, 224 and 225, a perfect 10-0, and my man, on a hot streak, on a heater. What's the secret? Uh, there's no secret, and uh, yes, I'm sure you just did jinx me. So whatever I say right here in the next 40 minutes or so, uh, just do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, throw, throw it out there. See, to be honest, John, I, I like to try to disagree with you to, to make some, some parody when we do these types of shows. But looking over the picks ahead of time, Honestly, we agree on a lot of these, maybe even all of them, but uh, I'm going to try to play some devil's advocate in there, and hopefully we can kind of get into that just so we have a little bit of parody and a little bit of embrace debate, because uh, that always makes a funner show. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, that's one thing you can say about this card, even if, uh, you know, you do like a lot of the favorites. There's certainly a compelling case for the underdogs to win, and that's pretty much all you're looking for, you know, when you're trying to get some value plays in your lineup. Exactly, and, and any, anything else, or arguably more than anything else, MMA is a sport where you can mass enter your GPPs. I know they have a they have a $1 GPP with a max of 150 entries, and uh, really a lot of it's uh, playing game theory and really trying to think of, you know, not just, I think is going to win, I'm going to have, you know, 60% exposure to Stipe, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the Fight IQ guys that do their show, they do this on a Thursdays. You can get it in the same podcast feed as this. They talk a lot about that aspect of it as well. But John, let's go ahead and dive right in here. Main event, it's the heavyweight championship. One of the best fights the UFC can make right now. I'm excited for this fight. Fans, casual, uh, hardcore alike, both should be really excited for this fight. We've got the heavyweight champion, uh, Stipe Miocic, welcoming the light heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier, to the octagon. Now, Stipe's a pretty big betting favorite, minus 240. 
DC checks in at about plus 220, and the DraftKings salaries reflect that. We've got Miocic, 8,900, Cormier, 7,300. The odds to finish are only about minus 130, which to me seems a little bit low for a heavyweight fight, and hopefully we'll kind of explain why that is. Uh, But John, I got to see your pick and kind of how you see this one playing out. Uh, well, I took Miocic, and um, the simple reason for me is uh, just the size difference. That's that's literally the only reason. Um, DC is, you know, a light, as we know, a light heavyweight, UFC light heavyweight champion, and he gives up size in a lot of his light heavyweight fights. He's under six feet tall. Um, you know, he gives up size in most of his fights to 205 pounds, and he's such a great athlete that he almost never has an issue giving up the size at the lower weight class but i think a guy the size of miocic with the skill set of miocic is going to be a problem for cormier now i don't think miocic is by any means going to you know destroy cormier uh which is kind of what you know those odds to finish uh will tell you um as far as the vegas line but um look Cor- miocic has more power than cormier mm-hmm. you know i don't think there's any Agree doubt there. about that yep um, we all know DC's entire offensive game plan is based around his wrestling. Um, but he is going to have to get inside against the guy that he's giving up five inches in height and eight inches in reach to. And, um, if you look at the problems DC had with John Jones on two different occasions, who's really the only guy who's ever given Cormier any trouble in his entire career, um, it was a long, lean guy that was able to keep Cormier at a distance and land a bunch of strikes. Now, Stipe doesn't have um, the same body type as Jones does. You know, no one other than Alexander Gustafson really does. But Stipe does have that length advantage over DC. And, um, you know, Cormier is going to have to stick with the takedown. If he fails on the first five or the first six or the first seven, he's going to have to make sure that um you know numbers eight nine and ten keep coming um i don't stipe has really really good cardio for a guy his size um and he has a background in wrestling his ufc his takedown offense over his ufc career is 75 percent which is really good um you know you looked at um when dc fought anderson silva Uh, anderson was a far bigger guy than cormier also but cormier was able to get him to the mat no problem and just grind out a win I don't think he'll be able to do that with Stipe. Now, that being said, Cormier at $7,300 in your DraftKings lineup is about the most exceptional value you'll ever find. You will never find a fighter who is legitimately one of the three or four best pound-for-pound fighters in the world at $7,300. just doesn't work like that. So, um, you know, if you make a bunch of lineups, which as we tell you on all these podcasts that we advocate – um, Cormier, you know, you should get a piece of Cormier somewhere because you're going to have, it's going to be a long time again before you see a fighter of DC's ability at $7,300. But, um, you know, I don't think Miocic is a better mixed martial artist than DC, but there's just, you know, there's just a big size differential. Um, and a good example of, of this is, um, a couple months ago when, Max Holloway was going to step in and fight Herbib Nurmagomedov. Um, Holloway is also one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, and we're going to talk about him in a second. But he was scheduled to be 
a massive underdog to Habib. I'm talking, I don't remember the exact number, but it was like plus 375, plus mm-hmm. 400. You know, it was something, it was something insane. And the simple difference and the simple reason for it was just because of the size differential. And I expect a competitive fight. Like I said, I don't expect Cormier, you know, to go in and get blown out. And I would certainly would not be surprised if this saw uh, saw the final bell. But it just it seems like a bad matchup for DC. But that being said, the guy is nothing to lose. Yeah, you know, well, why not? At this stage no, yeah. in his career, at this stage in his career, he's approaching forty. Doesn't want to fight too far past forty. The weight cuts are getting to be tough. We we saw that recently with kind of the towel gate thing, the leaning on the towel situation, and uh, it's getting harder and harder for DC to cut down to the 205 pound limit. Now you look at his weight on fight metric. DC is 235 and Stipe is 240 because Stipe is not. <laughs> excuse me. Stipe is not an enormous, enormous heavyweight. He definitely just he fights at his walking around weight, no problem. Um, and and Cormier is definitely going to put on a lot of pounds. It'll be more like what he walks into the cage as as a light heavyweight. But but you're right. Just the builds of the two fighters was striking to me, John. Like you said, five inches in height, eight inches in reach, and it's kind of a it's kind of a anything you can do, I can do better scenario almost for Stipe, who's who's starting to get himself into the conversation, if not already, as one of the greater heavyweights of all time, because it's so hard to put together such a win streak in this division. But like you said, John Cormier. His wrestling is his cornerstone for him, and the numbers. I mean, Stipe is going to be able to defend his takedowns. I would, I would think. I mean, his his takedown defense is seventy five percent. That's excellent. Um, on average, Stipe lands actually more takedowns per fifteen minutes than DC over over his M- MMA career. And then, you know, let, for the sake of it, let's just move to the striking. Assuming this one plays out in the, in the feet, Stipe lands more strikes per minute. He's got a better striking differential. He's 2% more accurate, and his defense is 5% better, and these are against heavyweights. So to me, this says that not only is there the size differential, um, striking enough, um, it's it just the other numbers, and, and overall, DC is going to have a hard time, I think, you know, as, as he starts to get to the last probably two, three fights of his MMA career. So this is one where we're definitely on the same page at, John. But what about, what about DC's legacy? In your mind, is he the best light heavyweight of all time? I, I, you know, I think he is, if for no other reason than essentially John Jones' antics have made him ineligible. Yep. You know, the, what, what everything Jones, you know, it's, you hear Jones talking all, all this, all this crap and stuff, but the guy has put himself on the sideline. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not eligible to win a title if you can't fight. Yeah. So can't, yeah. can't cheat to win. No. And I, you know, I think, and the shame of this all is let's say DC does lose on, on Saturday, right? The shame of this is even if DC does win on Saturday, no matter what happens Saturday, his overall career legacy is going to be marred by the facts he lost to Jones twice. Mm-hmm. And no one knows when Jones is going to be back. And I know DC said recently that, you know, he's looking for a third fight between the two. But, you know, if you had to bet on it today, the odds of that ever happening are worse than 50-50. Yeah. You know, you don't know. DC's get closing in on 40. No one knows when Jones is going to be eligible. You know, there's a million different things. Yeah. So even if this is going to. That those two losses to Jones are going to diminish DC's legacy, and it shouldn't because mm-hmm. the guy has done it the right way, and he's gone about his business. But uh, it's a shame because it's going to ruin it. Not ruin. That's not mm-hmm. the right word. But it's going to tarnish his legacy a bit that he couldn't beat this guy, and not only in the public. It's you know it's personally driving him nuts. A guy who's as focused. Oh, yeah. 
and committed as Cormier is that he wasn't able to beat his biggest rival is going to drive him you know insane till the day he dies. Yeah, I don't see a third fight happening between the two. If Jones comes back in a year or two, I assume he'll gun for a heavyweight fight, whether it's Stipe, whether it's it's the Brock Lesnar thing that's been thrown around. Um, hopefully get more clarity on that. And uh, I mean, Jones is, of course, one of the most exciting fighters that I've ever seen. I wouldn't be sitting in this chair recording this. I don't think I would have gotten into it if I wouldn't if I wouldn't have seen uh, John Jones fighting in my college and even even high school days. So definitely a big credit to why I'm sitting here now. But I, I definitely agree with you. He, he checks himself out of that GOAT conversation uh, with the with the PED, you know, positive tests. You know, they're, they're not you can't even really call them accusations anymore. Uh, you know, USADA is coming in trying to clean up the sport and they're getting after him. Uh, still, I hope he comes back someday. But but I, I, you've got that spot on, John, where yeah, there, there might be fans are going to look at DC's you know fight list and they're going to see no contest jones and they're going to remember in their head oh exactly what happens he got knocked out with a head kick but outside of jones dc has been a consummate professional a role model uh he's excellent in every aspect of the game um he's definitely a hall of famer there's no doubt about that in my mind and uh you know i wish him i wish him the best on saturday i just think he comes up a little bit short you know and even if he does though i i think we both agree that this was the fight to make. You know, we see mm-hmm. UFC try and make some fights sometimes. It might not be the best fight for the division, but it's the fight that sells, you know, sells tickets and sells pay-per-view buys. This is not only the fight that will do that, but this is also the best fight th- for the division. Mm-hmm. UFC heavyweight division, both those divisions actually, yeah. heavyweight and light heavyweight, are not mm-hmm. deep. There was no clear-cut title challenger for either of these guys at the moment, and the time was to do it now. Yeah, no doubt about that in my mind. I mean, outside of a Conor Habib fight, who knows what kind of roadblocks are there? Yeah, this is uh, this is the tops among active, eligible, ready to fight guys that they've gotten. Definitely very excited for that. But that's not to underscore an exceptional uh, co-main event. We've got a featherweight championship matchup. I've been waiting for this one a while. Uh, you alluded to Max Holloway in our last discussion how he was going to step in as a short notice replacement to fight Habib. Couldn't make the weight on short notice. This time, he's got plenty of notice. He's fighting Brian Ortega, the top contender this time around on DraftKings and in Vegas odds. Holloway is the betting favorite. Uh, minus 145 to Ortega's plus 135. Matches up with the salaries. Holloway at 8,300. Ortega at 7,900. Uh, John, this one is uh, it's tight in terms of betting odds. I mean, definitely a little bit further away from a pick em. Um but are you, do you think the uh, champion can keep the longest active winning streak in the UFC going? Yeah, I, I do. And it's it's getting to the point quickly where he's not there yet, but Holloway is getting to uh, the point where, you know, you got to consider him a, you know, pretty decent sized favorite over every, anybody in the division, no matter who he faces. Mm-hmm. And that's not to underscore Ortega. I've been an Ortega supporter for quite a while. But um, there are a couple things that concern me about this fight for Ortega. The first thing is, sure, he's going to have a um, advantage on the mat. You know, Ortega is legitimately one of the best jujitsu specialists in the entire company, the world. He's he's unbelievable. But I think Holloway's proven in this run, twelve wins in a row, that he has shown an ability to defeat all kinds of different opponents. He will mix up his game plan based upon whoever he's fighting. You're sure as heck not going to outwork the guy. The guy could go 25 rounds, let alone five. His pace in round five is the same as it is in the first. Um, Holloway is not what you would call you know, a huge power puncher like maybe Conor McGregor, but he wins with combinations. To give you an idea, he lands 6.2 significant strikes a minute. Ortega lands 3.6. 
you know, nearly double. Um, and then you look at the reverse, Ortega eats over five strikes a minute. Holloway is at 3.9. You know, Holloway wins with combinations. He wins with activity. And the other thing concern I still have about Ortega is, while he's undefeated for his career, 14-0, there have been numerous occasions where Ortega has started really slow and had to pull out some kind of miracle finish in the third round. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a five-round fight, but if you start slow against Holloway, and you, you find yourself you're not coming back. Oh, you're if no, you're not. You're if you start slow against Holloway, he's either going to put you away, or he's going to have you so far down on the scorecard that you're not going to be able to catch him. Now, if Ortega is able to get Holloway to the mat and clamp on some submission, can he win? Sure, he can submit any man in the world. But Max Holloway's takedown defense in his UFC career is a shade over 83. percent That's exceptional. Um, Ortega is not what you would call, you know, a wrestler. Really, he averages less than, uh, you know, a quarter of a takedown per 15 minutes. So I think Ortega's only what the only way Ortega wins this fight is if Holloway makes a mistake and gives him an opening to land a submission. And I think we, I think we've obviously seen enough from Holloway the past three or four years that he deserves the benefit of the doubt that that's not going to happen. Can it happen? Mm-hmm. Sure. But that's why that's why Holloway's your favorite and Ortega's the underdog. And the other thing we gotta keep in mind is Max Holloway won't turn twenty seven years old until December. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely insane. The guy gets yeah. better and better every single time he fights. And this was a guy who, you know, three, four years ago, you know, he was a good fighter, always was, but you know, no one ever saw him being a world championship caliber fighter. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's gotten better really, really, really quickly. He's done it. You know, without a top team behind, you know, he's not, he doesn't have American top team. He doesn't have the Black Zillions. You know, he doesn't trade with Greg Jackson. You know, he trains out of his native Hawaii with, you know, a, a growing but a small camp, compa- you know, compared to, you know, there's, it's not TriStar compared to some of these other camps. And the guy just continues to get better. He's an exceptional athlete. Mm-hmm. You can't tire him out. Um, I would, I, I would bet that Ortega, uh, sees the final bell. But uh, you, I've seen enough from Holloway the past four or five years that, at least in this fight, I think you have to pick him. Yeah, the odds to finish on this are minus 135, which is surprisingly um, – basically Vegas says this one has a better chance of going to, going to finish than the heavyweight main event, if only ever so slightly. But, but John, this is another one that, that we have to agree uh, – that we definitely agree on. I mean, since losing to Conor McGregor in 2013, Holloway's rattled off 12 straight wins, beating studs like Jose Aldo twice, uh, you know, Anthony Pettis, Ricardo Lamas, Jeremy Stevens, all, you know, all these Cub Swans and very respectable competition and that's not to downplay uh ortega's competition by any means he just came off a very impressive first round knockout against frankie edgar but in the fights leading up to that ortega is undefeated he's unbeaten in the ufc or as a professional um in the fights leading up to that almost all these stoppages yeah he's got stoppages tko some you know triangle choke uh knee couple of guillotines in there they're mostly in the third with one in the second so the win over a a frankie edgar a fighter who's definitely on the downswing was really his first big first round stoppage and i I couldn't agree more with the uh with the fight breakdown john basically holloway has to make a mistake and 
I don't like to pick a winner based on you know a slight, slight window that the opponent makes a mistake. So for me, this one's definitely Holloway as well. Um, I think Holloway's a top five pound for pound fighter. Uh, now the UFC rankings, which is which is kind of garbage, you know, not, not voted on by technically real media members, but it, for the most part, I agree. You know, Demetrius Johnson one, Stipe two, Conor McGregor three, Daniel Cormier four, GSP five, and Holloway six. I mean, McGregor can hardly be in there given his inactivity. GSP's headed the same way. So definitely in my mind, Holloway's a top five featherweight, and I think he's going to continue uh, to defend this belt. I, I, I don't see many guys in that featherweight division uh, that are really going to challenge him unless someone like McGregor uh, were to cut back down, uh, which is probably unlikely at, at this point. So we're both with Holloway. Now, this is the question that I want to ask. Uh, basically, it's it's essentially another way of asking how likely are do you think like what even though it's a small window what are the chances of Holloway making that mistake John if you made 10 DraftKings lineups how many of those 10 are you putting Holloway in uh it's a tough one probably 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 a decent amount six seven eighty three hundred is not all that much for a guy with his ability and his volume i mean he's not going to get you points from takedowns and passing guards but the you know it's a half a point for every significant strike landed and the guy um has been he's been pretty money lately i'm gonna try to quick call up his fight log but he's been a steady steady high scorer um in his fights because of that volume and of course he's been getting uh quite a few stoppages as well to jump into that but but yeah holloway is uh he's going to get you points with that volume and especially if it's a five-round fight you need to get a piece of it his last three fights 135 points against aldo 116 against aldo 115 against pettis i mean he for me unless you really think ortega is going to win and you give him more than a 20 30 percent chance to win holloway is pretty much a staple for me in cash lineups because you want to get that piece of the five-round fight yeah, I mean, I I have more confidence. I would have more confidence in Cormier winning than I would Ortega. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've seen enough from how and Ortega is not, you know, his striking has improved, but he's not what you would call, you know, a power puncher. His knockout of Tiago uh, Tavares came with 50 seconds left in the fight. His knockout of Clay Guida came with 20 seconds left, and it's Clay and, Guida. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his he, uh, sure, like you mentioned, he knocked out Frank Yeager in March, but that was the first time in Frankie's career he ever got knocked out. So, you know, there, you almost that makes you almost think there's, you know, some kind of, you know, a little bit of a flukiness involved there. So, mm-hmm. you know, Ortega's Ortega's really good, but um, Holloway's on such a roll that I think the person who beats Holloway is going to have to, in a way, stick to the same game plan as the guy who somehow someday will eventually beat Demetrius Johnson. And that is you either have to knock him out with one punch or you have to land one punch that drops him to the ground and leads to, you know, mm-hmm. taking his back or something like that. Almost like um, the way Nate Diaz beat McGregor in their first fight. Yeah. Something and, that, like you that. know, yeah, you know, Nate Diaz, you know, popped McGregor and then got him on the mat and choked him out. Mm-hmm. That is what it's going to take to beat one of these guys. And that for all Brian Ortega's skills, that is not his strength. So, you know, does he have a chance? Sure. You know, I don't I don't this isn't a lopsided, you know, totally lopsided fight. It's not a fight he doesn't deserve. He's clearly the number one contender. But um, based on everything we've seen, definitely got to roll with Holloway. 
Yeah, right on, John. So we got a fun one here coming up next. Another couple of heavyweights, perfect for the International Fight Week pay-per-view card. We've got Francis Ngannou coming off a loss to headliner Stevie Miocic. Uh, he's going to square off against Derek Lewis. Ngannou is 9,300 on DraftKings. Lewis is 6,900 on DraftKings. The, uh, the betting odds reflect that as well. Ngannou minus 380, Lewis plus 315. You're wagering $380 to win 100 if you're going to bet on Ngannou. So just to put that in perspective, unlike the heavyweight main event, the odds to finish in this one are overwhelming. It's minus 420. There's Vegas is basically giving this little to no chance of seeing the final bell. Now, I think I was a little surprised to see maybe one or two writers go the other way. You'll see our staff picks when I post them on Thursday uh, to the website. But uh, this one to me seems pretty lopsided in favor of Nganu, just like the odds and salaries indicate. Are you in agreement? Oh, yeah. This this is, to me, totally lopsided. And it's lopsided for two huge reasons. The first one is if Nganu connects, you go to sleep. And as entertaining as Derek Lewis is, he's shown time and time again that he gets hit pretty much at will. You know, he's willing to take a beating to land shots. And if you let Nganu connect with two or three of, of those bombs, you're not going to survive. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, in the Stipe lost in Nganu, he showed he had a chin. He took a bunch of shots from Stipe early on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he eventually lost the fight and got finished because he gassed yeah. out, you know, like like nobody's cardio business. Yep. No, it's horrible. But as terrible as his cardio looked in that fight, you still might say he'd have the cardio edge in this one. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not that anybody yeah. really expects it to go I mean, to the point where that matters. Yeah, Derek Lewis is going to walk into this fight probably about 275 pounds or greater. He does have to cut to make the heavyweight limit just to put that in perspective. Yeah, Der- Derek Lewis, I mean, Derek Lewis doesn't care. I mean, I, I don't mean doesn't care in the sense that he doesn't care if he win or loses. I mean, in the sense that he doesn't care that he'll just, he's going to go in and try and knock Ninganu out and he's going to eat whatever Ninganu throws at him because he has confidence he can survive. That's, you know, a bold stance and I don't think it's going to work for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think this fight's going to get out of the first round. I don't see how these two guys throwing like that can last for five minutes. Yeah, I'm expecting fireworks. I'm expecting tequila shots in the Latarski household to celebrate a knockout. I just got to play a devil's advocate for a second here. Let's 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 come up with a path path of victory for the underdog. Now, I was talking to one of our writers that actually picked Lewis in this fight. Again, I'll reveal um, I'll reveal the whole staff picks and and his main argument was that in the Miocic fight, Ngannou kind of gassed out. And Stipe was able to pretty much take him down at will in the later rounds. He showed that he was the more professional, well-rounded fighter. Now, Lewis isn't necessarily known for his takedowns, but I think he's capable of it, or or more or less, he, it, it's a knock on Ngannou's takedown defense. Now, I assume Ngannou's worked on this and made this a big, big focus of his camp. But let's say Lewis gets out of the first round and it gets into the second round. All of a sudden, Lewis is able to get a takedown and makes him carry... 280 pounds of Derek Lewis. Will Ngannou's cardio uh, hold up with with with, in, with Lewis on top of him like that? Will will the ground and pound get to him? Well, here's the problem. Well, here's the problem with that argument. Stipe has a wrestling background and can technically take you to the mat. Lewis would just be diving at Ngannou, and at that point, you know Ngannou's 
I would think would be able to defend himself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I also think that's all irrelevant because I don't think this is going to last any more than a couple minutes. Yeah. You know, Ningano, even, yep. yeah, even though he lost to Stipe, is still, for me at least, the most terrifying guy in the sport. If there's mm-hmm. one guy who can knock you out with one punch quicker than anybody, well, I mean, look at his decapitation of Alistair Overeem. I still don't know how Overeem's head was connected to his body when it was all said and done. So, you know, I, I, this is, I get, if you think Lewis, you know, if you, but that would, if you want to come up with a path for Lewis winning, that would be it. He Mm -hmm. somehow survives the early punches of Ninganu and then can somehow take advantage of his cardio at the end. But again, it's, but it's not like Lewis, has the cardio of Stipe in rounds two and three. Absolutely not. And then so that's fortunate for both of these guys that it's only three rounds. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this, I mean, on paper, at least trying to break it down, this is like a best case scenario matchup for Ngannou. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. Now, now numbers wise, you know, again, going to the devil's advocate route, Derek Lewis, he technically absorbs like 0.4 significant strikes per minute less and his striking defense is a few percentage points better. But like you said, it all comes down to Ngannou is going to land eventually, and when he lands, it's a lot more dangerous than any of the people on the list of, uh, of fighters that Lewis has ever fought. Uh, yeah, hands he up. hits Stipe. Stipe took some shots early in that fight. I mean, Stipe's he's, got a hell of a chin. He, still, he yeah, took he shots against Overeem and, and managed to come back survived. in the I mean, I don't think Lewis would, is going to be able to handle those shots as well as Stipe did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, no doubt about that. Especially after seeing someone like Mark Hunt, who's on the tail end of his career, essentially grind Lewis to, to ultimately give up in that fight. Now, again, it was a couple fights ago. Maybe Lewis had a little bit of a back injury, you know, whatever you want to speculate there. But again, we're in agreement here that, that, that the pick here is Ngannou. He's a great foundation for any cash lineup, and you should probably get him in some GPP lineups too. I mean, out of all the biggest favorites on the card, um, you know, I'm going to sort these by by salary real quick. Um, you know, Paulo Costa is 9,400, Jamie Moyles 9,200, Asuncio is 9,100, Lando Venata is 9,000. Those are the highest priced guys. Out of all those guys, I feel pretty much the safest about Ngannou, right? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, this is, I mean, all you can do is, you know, look at the, you know, the stylistic matchup between two fighters and, you know, try and break it down. Once they get in there, it, you know, it can turn to hell in a second. But it, as far as, you know, styles and how they usually fight and going off, you know, their past record, uh, this, there's no doubt this favors Ngannou. Yep. Right on. So let's, uh, so we're pretty much in agreement on this one. We'll move on to the next one, a lightweight matchup between Michael Chiesa and Anthony Pettis. Chiesa 8,600 on draftings, Pettis 7,600, Chiesa minus 165, Pettis plus 145. The odds to finish are minus 110, essentially a pick. I mean, could see the final bell. It might not. You know, I think we might be in agreement in, in this one as well, based on the career trajectories uh, of late of Pettis at least. But can you, can you break this one down for me, John? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm essentially the, the gist of this for me is I'm, I'm pretty much out on Anthony Pettis. Uh, I, um, I don't know what happened. We've talked about this here before. Uh, this was a guy who not that long ago, uh, was viewed as one of the better pound for pound fighters in the world was UFC lightweight champion, uh, and was on a Wheaties box. And now the guy just can't get out of his own way. Uh, he's two and five in his last seven fights. Um, granted. You know, those losses are against, you know, the best of the best of the best. But he looks slow. He looks hesitant. 
a guy who made his name um, because of world class athleticism. You know, you, you still there's UFC still showing highlights of the Showtime kick against uh, Benson Henderson every single yep. time the Anthony Pettis fights. But this is uh, this is a, a what have you done for me lately business? And the answer uh, for Anthony Pettis is not a whole heck of a lot. Um, you know, or win over Jim Miller just about a year ago. Uh, you know, doesn't tell me that Pettis is back. He uh, was submitted by Dustin Poirier in his last fight in November. Um, if I remember correctly, in that fight, he was busted open really, really badly, really, really yeah, quickly. Yeah, that one was lopsided. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, Michael Chiesa has talked said the last few months about how this, for, you know, if, for those who don't know, this was supposed to happen in April in Brooklyn. Right. Um, Conor McGregor, you know, threw his guardrail through the window of the bus and glass got in Chiesa's eye. And, you know, that was the end of that. Um, and Kies has talked about this pa- the past week or so about how, uh, you know, the McGregor incident, you know, cost him. He f- believes he'd be the UFC champion now if that didn't happen. I disagree uh, with I, that. I, I, I do as well. Not after Kevin Lee beat him the way he did. But. No, <laughs> I, I don't think that would happen. But, you know, I, 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 he certainly has a point in the sense that it interrupted a career, you know, the career, the flow. You know, he, he was all set. He had a training camp and, you know, mm-hmm. now he has to wait four months to fight again. But... Kiesa is a pro, uh, you know, much like Holloway. He's not going to beat himself. Um, Pettis on should be the better athlete, you know, if you just look look at you know past past performance. But I just there's nothing I've seen from Anthony Pettis in I don't know four years, you know, somewhere around there. That leaves me to believe he's going to snap out of this. Yeah, I'm with you. He can't make he's, the cut to featherweight. Can, and, no, he's and, in a continued funk. I'm like he's not. You know, you can lose here and there if you know you show improvement next time out. You know, uh, if you make 20 mistakes on a Monday and 19 mistakes on a Tuesday, it's a good Tuesday. Anthony Pettis isn't making less mistakes each time out. He's he 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 just he doesn't look like the same guy, and it's mind-boggling to me. That this doesn't get talked like his sudden fall doesn't get talked about more often. Uh, The two guys who over the past few years have totally fallen apart more than anybody and quicker than anybody are Pettis and Johnny Hendricks, who retired this week. They're the two guys who went from the penthouse to the outhouse in the blink of an eye and Pettis is uh Hendricks is retired this week and you know Pettis isn't going to retire he's only 31 years old but he has shown there's nothing that has led me to believe that he's going to turn this around yeah I mean he's looking to be like not much more than a gatekeeper for some up-and-comers at this point especially if he falls short here my pick is Chiesa as well John you know I'm going to go right in line with the betting odds but but overall I think I'm going to fade this fight on DraftKings. Uh, I, I don't. I, I like Chiesa, but 8600 is a decent amount, and there are a few guys that you know. Most of my lineup construction is, is centered around like kind of a stars and scrubs approach in this one, where there's you know maybe a couple uh, low salary guys that I'm going to hope for a home run on, and some high salary guys that uh, are more locks for me. So I'm, I'm kind of fading this fight. I like Chiesa, but not overwhelmingly enough to use him a ton. Maybe in six of ten lineups, something along those. Uh, you know, and if I, I mean, that's really only if I'm playing, uh, you know, just the televised portion. But, uh, but, but for me, it's it's the size. You know, Pettis. I, I was kind of getting into that a, a moment ago where Pettis can't make the featherweight cut anymore. 
went to lightweight, went back to featherweight, couldn't do it. Now he's back up at lightweight. He's going to concede three inches in height and three inches of reach to Chiesa. And I think Chiesa will just be able to use that height and the slightly better wrestling numbers to, uh, to most likely grind out a decision. I see this going to the final bell. So this just, to me, seems like a fight. Neither of these guys average greater than three significant strikes landed per minute. Um, Chase a 2.71 takedowns per 15 minutes. But this, to me, spells a low-scoring fight on DraftKings because of the styles a little bit. And, you know, there is a little bit of, of uncertainty. I guess Chase could win. I mean... I mean, I guess Pettis could win. So for those reasons, I'm, t- I'm staying away from this fight on DraftKings. It's only three rounds. So there's no extra incentive to get a piece of it. And there's other three round fights uh, towards the bottom that uh, that I'm gonna that I'm gonna probably stick to over this one. It's an interesting fight. Excited to watch it on the pay per view for sure. But uh, you know, when it comes to my bankroll and managing that, I-, I just don't see there being a ton of points scored in this one. Nah, it's you know, it's and it's not. It's a fight that really i guess you could say at this point doesn't impact the title picture at all and it's a you know it's in a way given what we've seen from pettis lately it's just it's a little hard to, you know card that has a bunch of really good fights this one's a little hard to get excited about mm-hmm. yeah i definitely hear you there so let's move on to the pay-per-view opener then john we got a light heavyweight matchup here. Um, this one's between Gokan Saki and Khalil Roundtree Jr. Saki is the betting favorite. I was a little surprised by this. Minus 145, Roundtree plus 125. Saki's 8,400 on DraftKings. Roundtree's 7,800 on DraftKings. This one, you know, you got a couple of stand-up guys looking to throw bombs. The odds of the finish are minus 410. That's right about equivalent with the Nganu-Lewis matchup. So we're looking at a finish which is why you probably want to get a piece of that on, on DraftKings. John, which side of this one are you taking? I took Roundtree, but I, I'm not particularly confident about it. We have relatively little information on both guys. Uh, this is going to be Gokan Saki's third career professional fight. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this is a guy who will be 35 years old in October, and this is only going to be his third professional fight. Now, Saki is a former um, glory kickboxing light heavyweight champion, um, his career kickboxing record is eighty-three and twelve with fifty-nine knockouts. Holy that cow, is not that's, that, a, that's, yeah, a, that's lot. <laughs> n- that's a lot, and it's not a mistake. Fifty-nine knockouts. So Yikes. this is a guy that has a ridiculous amount of powder, but obviously it's the, you know comes with the same asterisk it always does. How's the rest of his game? Just like Ngannou, Ngannou can knock you out. How's his cardio? How's his wrestling? All that stuff. Now. He's facing an opponent in Roundtree who only has 10 professional fights of his own. Roundtree's a bit bigger. I think he's going to be the slightly better athlete. He's certainly not the better kickboxer. But um, this was a fight that I was essentially undecided on. It was kind of a coin flip for me. I took Roundtree only because, you know, the payoff was a little bit bigger. But um, from a DK perspective, there are enough fights on this card with enough well-known fighters that this might be one you want to avoid. Um, the one thing I will say about Saki, not only does he have power, but Roundtree at times um, does a poor job of defending himself. He goes in and tries to land you know, land strikes of his own. If that happens, Saki can pick him apart. So um, I took Roundtree only because the payoff at the end of the rainbow was a bit bigger. But this is kind of you know, essentially a pick for me. Limited information on both guys. I would try and look elsewhere. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I saw this one as, you know, if, if Saki's going to be the betting favorite, maybe make him 8,200 on DraftKings and Roundtree 8,000. I would have adjusted the salaries a little bit for me. So based on that notion, it, it's like when you when you go, you set the lines for NFL games before you look at them and then you compare them to the actual lines and it tells you what you want to bet on. For that reason alone, I'm with, with Roundtree in that as well because there's a slight difference in what I expected him to be. The main thing is, uh, again, not a big sample size on Saki, uh, of course, giant kickboxing sample size but in his last fight his ufc debut against henrique de silva he was on the ropes for a little while he needed to land a big shot to come back in that fight and get the knockout here so he can be touched despite his amazing reputation yeah and henrique de silva is terrible yeah yeah i mean yeah saki was dangerously close to getting knocked out by henrique de silva who he, he might be cut or close to it right now and i yeah, so he, he 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 was he lost four straight fights and has since been released. So okay, so you know, and and yeah. Saki almost got out, knocked out by that guy. Okay, so I know you can't necessarily extrapolate results like that. That's it's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, but but overall, I mean, for me, that's uh, it's just a little bit concerning. So for that reason, if I'm going to use either of these two guys, uh, it's going to be Roundtree at seventy eight hundred. Don't necessarily feel great about it, but uh, but I think uh, we're in agreement actually on this one, John. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things. I mean, you know, it's I. But you're right. I thought the salaries would be a little closer too. Mm-hmm. I thought Saki's eighty four, Roundtree's seventy eight. I thought you would have been looking more like Saki eighty two and Roundtree eight thousand. You know, right near each other. Um, but I guess they're banking on Saki's past performance in his kickboxing. Yeah, career. you yeah. know, the guy obviously has legitimate power. He's a world class kickboxer. So if he lands with regularity. He's gonna just like Ningano. Ningano lands at regularity. He's gonna knock you out. Same thing for Saki. Yeah. Just a quick check on the betting odds for this fight. I mean, Saki opened at about minus one eighty, and he's already down to about minus one thirty-five. I said minus one forty-five. Looks like a little bit more money's moved in the direction of Roundtree. I like to watch the betting odds on best fight odds, especially how they uh, how they moved leading up to fight week, just to see where maybe some of the sharp money is going in this case. So, and in this case in particular, it's headed on Roundtree probably because there's a little bit more room for profit, but that win is closing so definitely pay attention to that one more fight i want to ask you about john it's a big fight weekend here um i know DraftKings is doing some survivor contests with friday night and saturday night a couple other things um the ultimate fighter season 27 or the ultimate fighter undefeated finale is on friday night part of international fight week and um you, I don't think either of us are real big fans of the show. Uh, kind of wait to to see. You know, this will be our, our first look for some of these guys. But but we can talk about the main event here, John. Um, where we've got Brad Tavares and Israel Adesanya. That's a pretty dang good fight. Um, do you have a pick for that one? It is a good fight, and I'm taking Adesanya if for no other reason. Reason I think Brad Tavares is overachieving a little bit lately. Mm-hmm. He's won his last four fights. Three of the four have come via decision. His last one, he knocked out Christoph Jocko, who has been extremely disappointing over the past year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, Tavares is tough. He hits hard. Um, he doesn't get hit very often for a guy who is not an ex- he doesn't he's not an exceptional stand up defender. But Adesanya certainly has the higher ceiling. Um, oh, yeah. He's got a long, long, lean frame. He's going to have a th- three-inch edge in height. He's going to have a six-inch edge in reach. And he, uh, the UFC obviously can't admit this, the UFC is hoping Adesanya wins this fight. 
He's marketable. They to keep going. No doubt yes, about it. He's marketable. Um, he brings a different. It's he's very. I don't want to say Conor McGregor like, but he's very flamboyant in the cage. There's a lot of kicks from odd angles. There's a lot of strange looking combinations. Likes to put on a show for sure. Yeah, he's a guy who, uh, like they say in the business, he's a guy you can't train for because you can't find a sparring partner who fights like he does. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, they, you, they just don't make them. So um, it is. It's an intriguing fight, and I think this should tell us how much of the improvements we've seen from Tavares of late are legitimate because he's facing a, a fellow striker. And I'm always a little wary. Tavares's sudden improvement came, you know, at age 29 and 30. Max Holloway's sudden improvement came at age 24 and 25. So I always get a little hesitant when I see a guy making sudden advances around 30 because, you know, the odds of you suddenly getting better at that age are not mm-hmm. good. It does happen at times, but it doesn't happen very often. So, yep. you know, Brad Tavares is currently ranked by UFC.com, and we were just talking about their rankings don't mean a whole lot. But he's currently ranked number eight in the middleweight division. Um, I'm not going to look it up, but I'm pretty sure I could find more than seven guys I would pick ahead of him. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. This mm-hmm. is a, it's a good it's a good enter- it should be an entertaining fight, put it that way. Yeah, no doubt about it. John, I really thought we were going to differ on a pick for this one to finally uh to finally wrap it up, but uh that's not the case actually. I'm going out of Sanya as well with this one. Uh I'll just I'll go ahead and spoil it for the staff picks on Thursday. I will say though th- that several members of our staff, uh, our MMA staff, some of the guys that do the Fight IQ shows are giant in on Tavares for this one. Now, that was back when Tavares was at about a plus 135 underdog. He's now to about a plus 110 underdog. But some of these some of these guys that are big betting guys were saying, I'm putting all my units, I'm putting 40 units on Tavares, and these guys are going all in. And the reason that I was hesitant to make a bold, bold move such as that was because of an injury scare for me. There was the whole injury scare um, a, a while back where he almost dropped from this fight. Like, like Thiago Santos is going to be on standby in Vegas in case something happens. Remember, they thought he broke his, um, maybe his foot, or he might have had a broken bone. And I don't, like, I don't like putting that much stock in somebody that is coming off a potentially serious injury. So that part worries, worries me with Tavares. I know that wasn't the exact reason you picked Adesanya, but is that a valid concern? I think it is, you know, you would, although you, you kind of got to look at it two ways. You think a fighter, if a fighter is unfit to fight, he would say something or you hope he would. Well, I mean, Dana then, White at one point went and said that the fight was called off. <laughs> I, I mean, right. But then you look at look at what happened with Cowboy Thorny last week or two weeks ago or whatever it was, who essentially, you know, was in bed sick and he said he was planned on calling Dana White, you know, to say I can't go mm-hmm. and nothing but pride kept him in the fight. So, you know, you would hope a fighter if he's unfit to fight would say something. But, you know, these guys have to make a living and they make a living by stepping into the cage. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tavares, you know, was going to tell you if you ask him, he's going to tell you he's good to go. Is he good to go? You know, who knows? Yeah. So for that reason alone. That's why I'm not going to jump out and put all my, you know, I'm not one of those guys that keeps track of the units or anything, but I'm not going to jump out and make like a serious, like all my money bet. I'm not going to bet a house payment or something like that on Tavares for this fight. I think without that, it would be very, very close and I maybe would lean towards the momentum of Tavares, but because of that foot injury, and I think people are overlooking it, maybe it's recovered. Maybe not, and, and and I might consider taking out Asanya and DraftKings uh, for the contests that are on Friday. 
it should be a good fight. I mean, it's two action guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty interesting card. So we'll definitely we'll have recaps for that up on RotoWire, um, as, as with every event. So definitely something to check out on the website. Follow at RotoWire MMA. Basically, every time we write a fighter update on RotoWire MMA, it gets automatically tweeted from the account. So a good way to keep up with uh, the content there. But Back to the Saturday card real quick before we wrap things up here, John. There's got to be some values. You know, we both like a lot of the favorites. There's got to be a couple of values on the card. I saw you made a couple of picks in your article. I need to point out off the bat, you know, I'm kind of the odds value guy. I look at the numbers and see where money lies there. Uh, Paul Felder is minus 155 against Mike Perry. And Paul Felder is only priced at 7400 on DraftKings. So immediately for me, that's the first fighter I put into my DraftKings lineup there. Just because I think Perry fights a little bit recklessly even though Perry will be bigger I'm not necessarily that high on Perry he's like a like a poor man's Gaethje in a sense where he gets hit to land hits and 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 is a little too aggressive for his own good I'll take Felder the smarter fighter do you agree with that and are there any other picks that you might want to jump on you know I I saw the DK salary for that fight and I thought it was a mistake um there have been times where DraftKings has made mistakes um they've had the odds reversed you know the salaries reversed um for whatever reason um, th- that's a good fight. And Felder is, I mean, giving those salaries is certainly the better value play. The one thing I will say in Mike Perry's defense is he hits hard and he has an incredible chin. So, um, if you look at the numbers, Felder only absorbs 2.8 significant strikes a minute. Um, but that doesn't match the eye test. If you watch a Paul Felder fight, he gets hit mm-hmm. and, if Mike, I can see a scenario where Mike Perry lands enough and his chin just keeps him in the fight, kind of like Justin Gaethje fights, and he yeah. eventually just wears Felder down from the damage. But given the um, salaries, Felder is definitely the better play. And the other underdog I picked was um, Emily Whitmire against Jamie Moyle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all things being even. Uh, you know, I would probably pick Moyle to win, but Moyle hasn't looked great in her UFC career. And, you know, what good is an article if you pick, you know, 12 favorites? So um, it may be Whitmire can steal one. But again, mm-hmm. there's enough fight, well-known fighters on this card that I would probably stay away from that fight. Um, I would probably stay away from the Curtis Melander, Max Griffin fight there, you know, and the other guy who... I think is actually a pretty good play despite an insane salary is Polo Costa. You know, I'm not real big on Uriah Hall. I never was, but I'm really not big on him now. He was essentially not all that long ago. um, One round really from um, being stopped and almost certainly being released before he managed um, to rebound and knock out Christoph Jocko in September. Mm-hmm. Um, Which was so, a wild fight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Hall's had some health problems since then. But, uh, yeah. Cost, Costa's legitimate. I mean, Cost- Hall, Hall almost died from, like, kidney failure during a weight cut. That's yeah. no joke. He was supposed to no. fight Vitor Belfort in Brazil. Yeah. That had to get caught off and, like, like, apparently came a little too close for comfort there. And he's back in the octagon. So, yeah, I mean, and uh, do you really want to come back in the octagon against the guy who's eleven and zero with ten knockouts? Paulo Costa is no joke, by no, the way. No, he's gonna and Paulo Hall, Boracina, If you if you followed him a year ago, he kind of changed the name to simplify simplify it a little bit for for the American viewer. And Uriah Hall gets is a guy who gets hit. That's oh, yeah. just what happens. And mm-hmm. if you get hit, Costa's not the guy you want to be fighting. So, um, you know, it's really I know it can be hard at times to fit a guy 
with such a massive salary at 9400 in your lineup, but right. Costa has the potential to pay off pretty big. Yeah, right on it. And I see where you're coming from with Whitmire a little bit as well. At only 7000 why not? Probably not going to get you a finish, but you know maybe a little bit closer than the salaries indicate. You know, when you build your lineup on DraftKings, you see the little boxes for news. We didn't catch this fight when it was announced, so I just wrote a quick preview note for those for those two. That's why they have boxes when some of them don't, because the, the notes got written when they were announced. But uh, when I was looking at it, I mean, Whitmire has, you know, arguably a little bit more well-known of a resume. I mean, she, you know, she beat some ladies in Invicta and, and, and had some momentum going. Didn't look great in her UFC debut, but that's not to say she can't come back. And who knows what could happen? I mean, you got to pick, you got to pick a $7,000 fighter. If you want to, some of the, if you want to use, um, if you want to use Nganu and Costa, let's say you got to pick a cheap one, even if you, even if you're going to punt one of your six slots. Okay. And Whitmire is probably a little bit of a better play than Derek Lewis. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. I mean, I actually like Jamie Moyo a little bit when she was in Invicta. She looked pretty good, but she hasn't looked really good, particularly good in her two UFC fights. So, you know, when you have – and this is not, you know, a knock on Whitmire and Moyo, but, you know, they, they when you have fighters who don't have, you know, the overall skill of, you know, some of the other fighters on the card – it leaves openings for one man or one woman to make a mistake and, you know, for the other one to capitalize. So, you know, th- there's a reason Moyle's favored. She's she's the better fighter. But, you know, Whitmire at that salary, you know, gives you at least some chance. I mean, Whitmire was 8,800 in her, in her debut, and now she's 1,800 left. So there was a point where somebody thought pretty highly of her. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a risk reward thing, you know, mm-hmm. do you just take Whitmire and, you know, pray she, she can get something done and allow you to use, you know, two or three other fighters that you feel far more confident about. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you're stacking her up against someone like Rob Font or Dakar Close, two pr- pretty big underdogs in that scenario. So you got to pick at least a couple. I mean, if you're doing a cash game and you start with, let's say you start with Roundtree, I'm just kind of playing around with the lineups right now. You start with Roundtree and then you throw on, uh, you throw on Perry, or no, I'm sorry, not Perry, you throw on um, Paul Felder as well. Then you're looking at 8,700 a fighter. So um, even if you throw in, you know, let, let's say you use Stipe and then you and then you do Costa and Ngannou, then you're left with, uh, you know, you're left with an okay amount to um, to be able to play a little bit with. So um, and then after that, you got to pick another one at 7,300. So okay, maybe I use too many favorites there. But again, don't don't mean to ramble too much. But you got to find your underdogs, and, and some are a little bit better than others. And you definitely want to execute different strategy a little bit for cash and GPP, and think about your exposure and lineups. So enough big philosophy there. I'm going to wrap things up here. Thanks again, John, for joining me today. It's always been a pleasure. It's fun breaking down cards like this for crazy fight weeks. I very much appreciate it. Real quick housekeeping. Uh, You can follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me on Twitter at Jakeski52. Of course, John, we'll be back uh, prior to UFC 227 on August 4th. That's Dillashaw Garbrandt 2. Plus, we're getting Johnson Cejudo, Gustafson Ozdemir on that card. So very, very interesting card, John. Yeah, they just uh, they announced the Gustafson Ozemir fight yesterday. Uh, they pulled Volkan from his fight with Shogun Hua. Looks like Anthony Smith will replace him there. And uh, the UFC was committed to getting Gustafson on that on that card. They were talking about it for a long time. They had trouble finding an opponent, so they were essentially willing to rearrange two fights to get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to see him back, depending on... What happens with DC if he stays at heavyweight, if John Jones stays suspended? It's a pretty shallow light heavyweight division, and that's Gustafson's for the taking. 
He is, uh, if he, if put it this, I mean, win or lose, you know, losing to Miocic doesn't affect Cormier's light heavyweight title. Um, I think there's a pretty decent chance that, that if Alexander Gustafson gets by Volkan, that he's next for DC. And, you know, I'm not, you know, entirely convinced. I, I put it this way. I, I'm not, I wouldn't be ready to commit now to DC in that fight. Gustafson is damn, damn good. Yeah, no doubt. He fought him pretty close the first time. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, DC and Stipe on Saturday. Thanks again for listening, folks. Again, rotowire.com slash free for a free 10-day trial to everything on the website. Of course, MMA content is and has always been free on the website. So you've got this pod. You've got uh, Fight IQ coming up on Thursday. I'll post staff picks on Thursday morning. Uh, a lot of good content for International Fight Week. Thank you, as always, for being a part of it at Rotowire. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.